Well, good morning. Welcome once again to the gathering of Harmony Bible Church. It's a great day to be here to worship the Lord this morning. Let's go before Him in prayer. Father God, thank You for today. Thank You for Your grace and Your love. God, I pray that You'd be with us as we look to Your Word, that You'd guide us through it, that You'd help us to not only hear what You have to say, but God, that it would penetrate to our hearts and that we would apply it to our lives. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we've been working our way through the book of 2 Corinthians, and today we find ourselves at the end of 2 Corinthians. Um, And it's really appropriate that we talk about the characteristics of a godly church, as many of us will be off to celebrate with Twin Villages Church after this service to to celebrate their launch with them. If you're able to come, I would encourage all of you to be there in Damascata. uh, They have a, a space that's bigger this week, because they're expecting a number of people to be visiting and kind of celebrating with them as, this, as they kick off this week. I'm excited to see how God has worked and encouraged to hear testimonies of how God has worked, as well as to hear Pastor Phil preach. There's nobody I trust more implicitly as a pastor than Phil Meiswanger. I will tell you that right now. I can say with all of my heart that I love that man, I trust that man implicitly, and I, he loves Jesus, and he loves the gospel, and um, that's what churches are built on. They're not built on great leaders. They're not built on uh, programs and those things. They're built on the truth of God's Word. So uh, please pray for Pastor Phil and this whole process and pray for Damascata and Newcastle and that souls will be saved, that people will come to know the Lord. And I'm praying for revival, um, that God would begin in this area, a great and mighty revival, and uh, know that, uh, that, that God uh, seeks a people for Himself. So He answers those kinds of prayers. So with... Without further ado, let's look at our text this morning. If you'll stand with me for the reading of God's Word. 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Finally, brethren, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the saints greet you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the applying of His Word. Amen. You may be seated. So the last couple of weeks we've talked about characteristics of godly leadership and actions of godly leadership, and now we transition into characteristics of a godly church or characteristics of godly membership, if you will. What does it look like for a church to live in a way that is godly? Now, too many people, when considering a church, are far too preoccupied with the structure of the church and not concerned enough with the culture of the church. In other words, it seems that people are far too focused on what the church does, the way people dress, the type of music that is sung, whether coffee and donuts are allowed in the sanctuary. They're focused on those things rather than on the way the church lives. Now, I want to be careful here, and I want to give a word of warning, because focusing on these external things can be a problem on both ends of the spectrum, and even can become an idol on both ends of the spectrum. You're just as likely to hear someone criticize a church for being too contemporary in their worship service, or too casual in their dress, right? They only wear jeans, and they only sing 7-11s, you know those songs where you sing the same seven words 11 times over, that... It's very easy to be critical and you hear people being critical in that direction just as much as you are likely to hear somebody criticize a church for being too traditional, 
They all wear ties. Oh, I forgot to put my tie. They all, I actually debated whether or not to wear a tie, and I forgot that I mentioned that in here. They all wear ties, right? And they, or, or they, they only sang hymns or whatever. You know, when I came to Harmony, um, I left here, Kim and I, we left here, and I, when we found out you were without a pastor, one of the things I said to Kim was, as we pulled out of the driveway, I said, we are never going back there again. And it wasn't because of you, so much as it was because you were without a pastor. And I was like, yeah, I'm not interested in doing that. I'll tell you right now, that's not where we're going back. So we went to another church the next week, and then we came back here the week after that, and we've been here since. But anyway, so we, but when we left here, we said... We looked at each other, and I don't know who said it first, but we said, you know what? Those people love the Lord, and they love each other. And at the end of the day, we knew that that was what was really important. And that you probably weren't perfect in doing that and living that out, but we knew that if those things were true, that was a foundation upon which the church would continue to grow and be built. didn't matter whether the there were hymns or contemporary music or what people wore or whether you had pews or chairs or what programs you had. We'd been through that. We'd been through churches where those things were the focus and we just didn't want any of that. We wanted people who loved Jesus and in turn loved each other. I'm happy to be here and just excited to see how God has been growing our love for you and your love for us through this process as well. Now to be fair though, a church must make certain decisions. A church must have structure. Decisions like, do we sing contemporary music or do we sing hymns? It's easy to say, well, don't focus on those things, but you have to decide at some point what you're going to do. Or do we do both? Do we have a nursery program? Do we not have a nursery program and encourage children to sit through the worship service with their parents? However, what you notice in the church today is that these types of questions often preoccupy the church and the leader's time and attention. While those questions are largely absent, I'm not saying that there aren't principles that we can apply, but they're largely absent from God's instructions to the early church. There's not a lot of those kinds of instructions in Scripture. And it seems that James, Peter, and Paul, and the rest were far more concerned with the spiritual health of the church than whether they used PowerPoint to project song lyrics and Scripture references on their big screen. You see, what I'm saying here is that these structural decisions, how we do church, must be made, but they must be born out of and even take a back seat to the bigger issue of how do we be the church? How do we live as the called out ones in this culture? In other words, how do we live out the mission of the church to glorify God and help each other grow in Christ's likeness? It's a great book. It's called The Trellis and the Vine by Colin Marshall and Tony Payne. I'd encourage you to read it. It's a book all about how far too often we spend our time focusing on building the trellis and not enough time caring for the vine. The trellis is the structure, the programs, and the vine is the people. We need to focus on ministering to people, not so much the programs, not so much the structure. There has to be enough structure for the vine to flourish, but we don't focus on just building the structure. So with all of this in mind, that's just background, let's focus on Paul's instructions to the church in Corinth. Here we see Paul gives five imperatives or commands for the church, and from those commands I want to see five characteristics of a godly church. Five characteristics of a godly church. So the first point in your sermon outline is, number one, joy. Godly churches are marked by joy. In verse 11, Paul says, Finally, brethren, rejoice. The command is simple. 
It's seen throughout Scripture. In Philippians 4, Paul says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious for anything, but let your request be known to God. This is a common refrain in Scripture. James 1, Consider it all joy, my brethren. But I'm not saying this is always easy to be marked by joy. The psalmist in Psalm 13 says this, He says, How long, O Lord, will You forget me forever? How long will You hide Your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart all the day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God, and lighten my eyes, or I will sleep the sleep of death, and my enemy will say I have overcome him, and my adversaries will rejoice when I am shaken. It doesn't sound like joy. And then he says, verse 5, but... I have trusted in Your loving kindness. My heart shall rejoice in Your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because He has dealt bountifully with me. You see, here we have in Psalm 13, the psalmist crying out in his agony, but also rejoicing in God's loving kindness. Knowing that God has been good and faithful and gracious to him, And our joy is rooted in the Gospel that we can have joy because of what God has done for us in our salvation. So the first characteristic of a godly church is joy. Now the second characteristic is growth. Number two in your outline is, gro- is growth. Because godly churches grow. Paul's second imperative is be made complete. This word here that talks about being made complete, it's one word, it's the same word that's used in Mark 1 where we read that the disciples were Zebedee and the, I mean, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, were mending their nets. That they were fixing their nets. They were making their nets complete. It's the same word that Peter uses in 1 Peter 5.10 where he says, After you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory, He Himself will perfect you. He'll perfect, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. It's this idea of being made perfect complete, mended. So it's not the NIV or the ESV as they translate it where it says, uh, where it talks about um, uh, aiming for perfection. Instead, it's the idea of being made perfect that God makes us perfect. It's not so much what we do as what God does in us. God grows and perfects His church. That's why in Philippians, Paul writes, He who began a good work in you, He will carry it through to completion. But we grow in that. Godly churches grow. Not just grow in numbers, but grow in Christ-likeness. They become more mature day by day by day. And by God's grace, I can look at you and I can say, God is growing you. You're becoming more mature. I see it in your lives and I pray that you see it in mine. That, is the, that should be the life of the church. That I shouldn't be able to look at Bill and say, Bill's the same Bill he was three years ago. Nothing's changed. Praise God, that's not the case. I see Bill growing. And I pray that you see me growing as well. That's why in Ephesians, Paul says, and he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, and some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ. So that we can we can grow so we become a mature man which belongs to the fullness of Christ. Godly churches grow. Having seen that 
Godly churches are marked by joy and growth. The third point in our outline is that godly churches are marked by encouragement. The third characteristic of a godly church is, number three, encouragement. Paul's third imperative is, be comforted. He says, be comforted. And this word has a range of meanings. It comes from the Greek word, parakaleo, which means to urge, to implore, to exhort. And you've probably heard that word because the Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our paraclete. We have this, the Holy Spirit helps us. And in the same way, he says, be comforted, be helped, be urged, implored. The ESV says, comfort one another. The NIV says, listen to my appeal. And the King James Version says, be of good comfort. The idea here is that we are to we are to be comforted, we are to be encouraged. But I don't want to, I think sometimes we miss the point if we just say comforted. Like it's not just like, you know, oh, it's gonna everything's gonna be okay. Instead, there is a comforting whereby we say you need to change. There's an exhortation wrapped in this word as well. It's the same word that Paul uses in 2 Corinthians 12 when he says, I urge Titus to go. And Ephesians 4, where he says, Therefore I, a prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have received. In Thessalonians, he uses the same word and it's translated exhort. So there's this idea of encouraging. Encouraging when one is down, but also encouraging when somebody is facing the wrong direction to get pointed in the right direction. The church is to encourage each other in doing what is right. So godly churches are marked by joy, growth, encouragement. And then the fourth point is agreement. Godly churches are marked by agreement. Paul's fourth imperative is be like-minded. This isn't just, you should all look alike, you should all act alike, you should all wear the same kind of clothes, you should all drive the same kind of cars. Instead, he's talking about being like-minded in doctrine, in truth, in God's Word as the authority. Jesus said in John 14.6, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through Me. We agree on that. We're like-minded in that. We agree on what God's Word says. Sanctify them in truth. Your Word is truth. There will be times when we disagree about exactly what how to understand and how to apply specific passages, but that's not the majority of the Bible. The majority of what we read here is clearly understood, and our problem is not that we don't understand it, it's that we don't want to do it. We don't want to live it. Godly churches are marked by agreement, agreeing this is the standard, I will hold this as the standard, period, period, period. And that's what I will measure everything by. 1 John 4.1 is a warning. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. How do we test the spirits? We test the spirits according to the Word of God, like the Bereans did in Acts 17, where they searched the Scriptures when Paul came to them. Because all Scriptures God breathed. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that we can be equipped so a characteristic of a godly church is agreement. And that, by the way, that doesn't mean that we agree on every single little doctrine either. We disagree over some, some 
uh, little things, some secondary or tertiary things. But it means in the essentials, we have unity. And we will stand firm on God's Word. And then there are some things we agree to disagree on. There are some churches whom I love and respect, and I respect their leaders, and I think they have some issues wrong. And I partner with them in the Gospel because they're not major things. We need to focus on the truth of the Gospel and have agreement in that. Godly churches are marked by joy, growth, encouragement, and agreement. Finally, let's consider the fifth point in our sermon outline. The fifth characteristic of a godly church is peace. Paul's imperative is simple. He says, live in peace. I want to read Ephesians 4, 1-6. He says, Therefore, Paul writes, Therefore I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Be unified. Out of this unity comes a spirit of peace. That if we live in this way, where we have joy, we're growing, we're encouraging one another, we agree that this is the standard, that when that happens, the natural result is that we will live in peace. When warring happens within the church, the problem is we need to go back to those first principles. We need to remember what Jesus has done for us. We need to remember that we're called to help each other grow. We need to remember that we're called to encourage one another and we're to agree on Scripture as the standard. He says there is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father who is over all and in all and through all. That is the Spirit of peace. But we're also called not to have just peace with those in the church, but even peace with those outside of the church. As far as we can, Romans 12.8, If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Or Hebrews 12, Pursue peace with all men. Because godly churches are not characterized by war, by backbiting, by stabbing each other in the back. Instead, by peace. Living in harmony. One of the things that Mark prays almost every single week at prayer meeting is, pray for harmony at harmony. The way harmony will happen is when we have joy, when we're growing, when we're encouraging each other, when we're agreeing on God's Word and living that out. And then the natural result is peace. And he says, and when that happens, when that happens, the God of love and peace will be with you. So the question you should all be asking is, how is this possible? I mean, you're probably thinking, I've been in church my whole life and I can't tell you that I've ever seen this done perfectly. Even at Harmony. And I actually had somebody tell me, stop encouraging them. They're not, they don't love each other. Somebody told me this. Stop encouraging They don't love each other. And I thought, yeah, they do. They don't do it perfectly. I don't do it. We don't, we don't do it perfectly. And I will continue to encourage them. As long as there's breath in me, I will encourage. And encouragement sometimes is saying you're doing a good job. Sometimes encouragement is going, come on, you know, like let's. Or sometimes I need to be encouraged with the foot. But I'm going to continue to encourage, love each other. But we don't do it perfectly. So the question is, how is all of this possible? 
Well, these traits are not a one-time thing. They're not a one-and-done thing, but instead they're characteristics that we pursue day by day, week by week, year by year, knowing that we won't do them perfectly, but we are always to grow in them. So look at verse 14 with me as we try to bring this plane in for a landing. Verse 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. How do we do this? The grace of the Lord Jesus. The love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. When those things are real, when those things are active in our lives as a church, we will live out these characteristics. We need the Lord Jesus and His grace. This is a testimony of salvation. This is the Gospel here, folks. God in His love sent us the Lord Jesus Christ to be a gracious propitiation for us, a replacement for our sins. And in that, as we receive Christ, we have the fellowship of the Holy Spirit living inside of us, fellowshipping with us, and also helping us to fellowship with one another. Paul's point is it is the power of God and it is through His Gospel that we can do these things. We will never have joy, growth, encouragement, agreement, and peace outside of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. But in the Gospel, as we submit ourselves to the Lord Jesus day by day, not just once by saying a prayer and walking an aisle, yes, it may start that way, but by continuing to submit to Him day by day by day, His Lordship, that these things will become a reality. And that's why I say we need to have the Gospel front and center again and again and again in our lives. It's the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit that will enable us to live out these characteristics of joy, growth, encouragement, agreement, and ultimately live in peace and let the God of peace fill us. Paul could have ended this letter to the Corinthians anyway. And how does he end it? He ends it by saying, look back to the Gospel. Remember the Gospel and then live in light of the Gospel with each other. I love you. I want you to love each other. Because God is honored in that. So remember what God did for you through His Son, Jesus. So with that in mind, we're actually going to celebrate communion. And I can't think of a better way to think about celebrating communion than to remember the grace of the Lord Jesus, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So communion is a family meal. It's an opportunity for those who are members of Christ's family to partake of this meal. We practice what we call open communion, though it's not too open. What that means is it's kind of open. It means... If you're a follower of Jesus, you are welcome to partake of this table. If you are not a follower of Jesus, we ask that you pass the elements by. But today is the day of salvation. You don't need to be a member of Harmony Bible Church, but you need to be a member of the church, of God's family. We celebrate this meal remembering God's love and His grace and the fellowship we have one with another and with God through the power of the Gospel. So we take these elements... We remember His death, His burial, His resurrection, and we remember His coming again where we will celebrate this meal, this very meal with Him as His bride. We will celebrate this meal and reflect on the grace and love He has shown us. Scripture tells us that as we take this meal, not to take it lightly or inadvisably, so I would ask you that you examine your hearts, that you pursue peace with God and peace with others as you take this meal. This meal is not about being perfect. 
make no mistake about it, this is not that you are sinlessly perfect. Instead, it is that you, by God's grace, are pursuing perfection in Him. It is only by His grace that you are saved and that His power is active in your life to make you more like Jesus day by day. If that is the case, we encourage you to take this meal. Take it with great seriousness, remembering our sin is ever before us, but also with great joy knowing that Jesus paid the penalty for the greatness of that sin. So with that in mind, I'm going to ask the men to come forward and I'll just close us with a word of prayer. Close this message with a word of prayer. Father God, thank You for Your grace. Thank You for Your mercy. Thank You for an opportunity to remember the Gospel, to proclaim the Gospel. God, we know that we cannot be a godly church apart from Your power, apart from salvation by grace through faith. And God, I pray and ask that You would just be with everyone here. God, that everyone would know You, that everyone would remember the Gospel, the power of the Gospel, and would live in light of the power of the Gospel. Help us to be the church You've called us to be. Help us to love each other, to care for one another, and ultimately to live in peace with each other. God, so that Your peace may be with us as well. God, I thank You again for Your grace. We pray Your blessing upon this time of remembrance now. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.